All praises to the Most High Yah. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we say shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is the podcast we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what that means for us today. So, if you're ready, let's begin our study. I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor. Okay, then. We thank you very much. And I think we had talked somewhat about the supportive sacrifice. And today we have chosen to look at the topic, the supportive sanctification. And just before we go into that, let's ask a word of blessing. Our loving Lord, we ask that you bless the word that is it. It's been unraveled, that we may be able to see the logic, the understanding, and the clarity, O Heavenly Father, of the things that you have to say to us this day. Bless each listener, bless him who says speak, bless the host, and most of all, bless us collectively, that we may be able to walk with Yeshua in the path that he has laid out. In his name we do pray, amen, and amen. Amen. Our first text that we want to look at is found in Exodus chapter 30, and we want to focus on verses, well, actually one verse in this in this particular chapter, which is 18. It's Exodus chapter 30 and verse 18, and it says, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. Okay, and in conjunction with that text, we also want to turn to Exodus chapter 40. And in Exodus chapter 40, we want to look at one verse as well. It's Exodus chapter 40, and in the 40th chapter of Exodus, we want to look at verse number 11. And it says, and thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it. So as we deal with the supportive sanctification, what we want to do is look at this uh, sanctification process by which we are sanctified. And in doing so, we can be able to uh, walk in the footsteps of Yeshua. So in this part of our discourse, we want to examine the brazing foot of the labor, which was anointed. We have already identified that the foot symbolically represents a type of support and that its antitype would be the foot of Yeshua, our Messiah. So if the brazen foot is a type of support, then we would ask the question, what does it support? What we'll discover about the brazen foot is that it supports the very functions of which a foot is to perform. Let us now look at these three supportive functions as they relate to sanctification or to the sanctification process. When we study the function of a foot, it generally functions along with another foot, even though we may at times speak about a foot, yet in some instances we may say foot or we may say feet. 
the pluralization of foot is feet. In the Hebrew, there's such a thing as a dual plural. A dual plural is where there is two things which are similar and they come in a pair, such as a pair of ears, a pair of eyes, a pair of hands. So in some instances, we will speak in terms of <clears throat> feet because it takes two to perform certain functions and by the working together, they function as one unit correlating to, into one activity. Let us see what are the three basic correlated functions of the feet or foot. Interestingly, we find these three functions in Psalms Division 1 and also verse 1. Okay, we find all three of these functions of the feet in this particular uh, Psalms. So let us turn to the first division of Psalms, Psalms 1. And in Psalms 1, we want to look at these particular functions of the feet that we are talking about. Now, so here in Psalms, uh, what we call the Psalms of David, and we are looking at the first Psalms of David. Okay, the first Psalm and also the first verse of the first Psalms. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So here we see these three functions, okay? The, here we see that the first function David points out in this psalm is that walking is that of walking, and we refer to this as a, the supportive step, the supportive step. So let's examine the basic function, okay? So... One of the functions of the foot is to walk, and we call that steppings. So the first function of the feet is a supportive step. What we have is that the priests, in officiating their services in the sanctuary, did quite a bit of walking. Their every step going in and out of the sanctuary, placing the sacrifice or the sacrifices on the brazen altar in the courtyard, had to do with the atonement. The priest's daily activity was that of assisting in the atonement for the repentant. And in doing so, they were assisting in a work of righteousness. This work of righteousness was carried out by the priest walking to and fro with the blood to be sprinkled before the veil of the first apartment of the tabernacle, which separated the holy from the most holy apartment. This was the supportive stepping, which the priests engaged in, in what we would call type. The antitype of this would be the brazen feet of our heavenly priest, Yeshua, our Messiah, as he walks to and fro in the heavenly sanctuary atoning for our sins, just as the brazen laborer's foot 
symbolizes the suffering support. Yeshua's bruised feet of the tree or the cross, it is these crucified feet that now ministers in our behalf in the heavenly sanctuary. Now I want us to turn to Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the ch first chapter, and we want to look at verses 13 and 15. And here in verse 13 it says, And in the midst of the seven uh, lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the peps with a golden girdle. Okay, now verse 15 says, And his feet, as it were, he said, And his feet unto, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So what we see here is we have the, bra the, the bronze foot that corresponds with the brazen foot of the laborer, and it's saying that Yeshua was in the midst of the lampstands, which the lampstands stand for the churches. But we do know that the menorah that had the seven lampstands, it was located in the holy place. So here we find that the feet of Yeshua at this time in history is being able to be portrayed in the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Just like on the earth, we have the earthly sanctuary where the feast, the priest ministered. Now our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary is ministering also in the holy place, which was the first apartment of the sanctuary. So we are told in the book of Revelation concerning his officiating in our behalf that Yeshua was in the midst of the menorah, and he he's described as having a garment down to the foot and his feet unto the fine brass as if they were burned in a furnace for Yeshua to be in the midst of the menorah, which would mean that he was by the fourth lampstand, which was the shaft, which had three branches coming out of one side and three branches coming out of the other side. So let us, let us get an introspective look at this. Let us turn back to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and we'll look at a few verses there. Exodus chapter 25, and in the 25th chapter, we want to look at uh, verses 31 and 32. And here it says, it said, and thou shalt make and thou shalt make a lampstand of or a menorah of pure gold, of beaten work shall the lampstand be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls and his knops and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. So in other words, what he's saying, you got a shaft and the shaft was generally in the middle 
And on one side came out three branches, on the other side came out three branches. So when we look at the seven branches in the book of Revelation, it says that these seven branches were the seven lampstands, okay? But now that middle one where Yeshua was standing in the midst of was not only a lampstand, but it was a shaft, and the shaft uphold three branches on one side and three branches on the other corresponding with what Exodus 25, 31, and 32 says. This portrayal of Yeshua as being in the midst of his seven assemblies as a shaft holding up the other six assemblies. The six branches coming out of the shaft were, were being supported by the shaft. Moreover, as we observe the six, branch, six branches, in association to the center shaft is likened to a grapevine, Yeshua said to his disciples, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. And that's found in John, the 15th chapter, verse 5. So Yeshua said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. So the vine was sort of like the shaft, and the branches of the grapevine came out from the from the van. So the van was that place where the branches would proceed from, just like the shaft was the place where the branches of the lampstand proceeded from. This again points out the supportiveness with which the feet like brass supported. So we are looking at the support of both the vine as well as the shaft. Furthermore, for Yeshua to be in the midst of the seven lampstands, which represent the seven assemblies or the seven churches, meant that he was in the first apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. It was in this first apartment that the daily administration took place whereby the priests would assist Israel in their sinful condition to give them forgiveness through the blood of the Lamb. Even now, Yeshua walks among the seven lampstands or the seven assemblies, atoning for the daily. Every day he atones for us, for our sins. When we pray to him daily, he takes our sins and he gives us forgiveness. To do so is said to be the supportive steps of our Savior atoning for our sins. It is these bronze feet that tirelessly walking about the heavenly sanctuary to support us in our salvation walk. It is Yeshua who supports in our walk with him. When we walk in his footsteps, is it not he whose feet were washed with the tears of Mary and anointed them with her costly ointment from the alabaster box. These are the same feet which walks with us through his sweet Holy Spirit. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit because we know that the brazen foot was anointed, and we know that Yeshua's feet were anointed by the perfume of Mary. 
So Galatians tell us, let us walk in the spirit because the anointing means that you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So Paul admonishes us to walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 25. Now that we have taken a look at the step, let us now look into our second basic purpose for a foot. So when we turn back to Psalms, the first division, Psalms 1 and verse 1. So Psalms, the first division, Psalm 1 and verse 1, not only does it speak about how we should walk, but, but also how we should stand. For it says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. So it talks about the walk, which is the step. Now it talks about uh, us uh, standing, which we call the stance. So we want to look at the stance here now. Here we see the second function David points out in this psalm is that of standings. And we will refer to this as a supportive stance. So the feet not only walks, but the feet helps us to stand. So let us now examine the second basic function, function of the foot, the supportive stance. When we are told not to stand in the way of sinners, naturally, we would be admonished to stand in the way of saints. What David is doing, he is taking us in a negative way that if we look at the negative, then we would know to do the positive. So what would be the way of saints of which we would stand? Okay, so we turn to the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, we want to look at Psalms uh, 77. And in Psalm 77, we want to look at verse number 13. What is the way of the saints? If we're not to stand in the way of sinners, but in the way of saints, what is the way of, uh, of, uh, of the saints? So in Psalm 77, verse 13, it says, Thy way, O Elohim, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a, an Elohim as our Elohim? So in other words, David said, if you don't want to know the way of sanctification, you have to go into the sanctuary. And that's what we are studying in the sanctuary, how if we walk in the path that Elohim has given, we will be walking in the path of truth, we'll be walking in the path of holiness, and moreover, we'll be walking in the path of sanctification. So here we have the supportive stance. We are told that God's way, O Elohim, is in the sanctuary. So by studying the sanctuary, it will give us his way. It was in the sanctuary that many of the redemptive activities took place. When David says, stand not in the way of sinners, and his son Solomon said, stand not in an evil thing, in Ecclesiastes 8.3, standing has a lot to do with one upholding the truth. That's what standing is. Standing means to uphold something. So when our feet stand, 
it is symbolically saying we are upholding the truth. When we take an introspective look at the brazen labor foot, we can be able to see that the type of standing we are referring to has to do with being able to stand for the right. Standing is standing is a term used to denote that a person is true to principle or true to the principles of truth. A person who is able to ad ad adhere to truth without deviating from it, this is what we call standing on the word of Yahuwah. Consequently, when we speak about the brass foot in type, it is in reference to the holding up of brass, which symbolizes the suffering feet of Yeshua holding up the principles of truth, even under extreme agony of his crucifixion. When we share in two the suffering of our Messiah, his supportive stance supports and enable us to stand for truth in our hour of suffering. Let us see what it is that the suffering feet of Yeshua stood for. As we have seen, the brass foot of the labor contains water on the inside and the anointing on the outside. So what we are observing are four components of redemption. Let us examine the four components. The four components comes from the brass foot of the labor containing water on the inside of it and the anointing oil on the outside of it. From this analogy, let us single out four components we'll be dealing with and we'll see how they are correlated to Yeshua, our Messiah, suffering and anointing and anointed feet. So at this juxtaposition, what we will endeavor to do is to focus upon each of the components we are dealing with and what they represent in symbol, type, and antitype. We will start from the outside and move to the inside. Now let us look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. In Exodus chapter 40, uh, we want to go again to the verse that we read initially at the beginning. That's Genesis, this Exodus chapter 40 and verse 11. Now here it says, And thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it. So as I said, we are looking at the foot. And he said they were to anoint the foot. When we consider the fact that the foot of the laver that was anointed, we have already given significance to the foot of the brazen laver as being a supportive structure for the laver itself. So the question we ask is, what is the foot supporting? We want not only to discover what the brazen foot upholds, but also what are the functions of a foot. We will refer to our first section 
of our study as the quadratical components. Keep in mind also that we are still speaking about the supportive stance, the quadratical components. We refer to this section as the quadratical components because we are dealing with four of them. As we start from the outside of the laver's foot to the inside of the laver's foot of water. So when we say quadratical, quadra means four. So we want to look at the quadratical elements we are dealing with. Let us list each of the quadratical components. Okay, the first quadratical uh, uh, component is the ornament. Okay, the second quadratical element or component is the brass. The third is the foot, and the fourth is the water. So there are the four components, the ointment, the brass, the foot, the water. Now that we have laid out the quadratical components, let us consider the quadratical symbols. Okay. Now, the ointment, what is that a symbol of? The ointment is a symbol of anointing. The brass, what is that a symbol of? It is a symbol of suffering. The foot, what is that a symbol of? The foot is a symbol of upholding. The water, what is the water a symbol of? The water is a symbol of the word. Now let us consider the quadratical types, the quadratical types, okay? Okay, let us, by review, first we have the, 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 the ointment, and that is a symbol of anointing, but what is the type? The type is the outpouring of the Spirit. The second we have is the brass. Its symbol is suffering, but its type is the male treatment when somebody is mistreated. The third we have the foot, and the foot is the upholding, which means it is a type of support. Fourth, we have the water. And the symbol of water is representing uh, the word. And the type is that of cleansing. So the word cleanses. We have water, the word, and the cleansing. Now let us consider the quadratical antitype. Okay? So when we look at the antitype, we have the components, the symbols, the types, and the antitypes. So let us look at it all together again. First, we have the ointment, which is symbolized, which symbolizes anointing, and its type is the outpouring of the spirit of Elohim, and its antitype is the spirit of Elohim being poured out. And then we have second component, which is the brass that represents suffering and also male treatment. And his antitype is the crucifixion. The third was the foot. The foot is symbolized, symbolizes upholding, and his type is the support, and his antitype is the Messiah's feet. The fourth is the water, and water is symbolizes the word, and word in type is cleansing and the antitype is the washing. Let us wrap up this section by viewing quadratic 
components with the feet of Yeshua on the tree or the cross. We'll start with what we call the cleansing. The cleansing of the feet. In the cleansing of the feet, there are two cleansings we'll observe. The initial cleansing is with Mary and Yeshua. Let us look at this cleansing of which we will refer to as a foot washing. So the first foot or the first foot cleansing. Okay. In this first cleansing of the feet of which we will refer to as the foot washing. Mary washes the feet of Yeshua, okay? So what we want to do is turn to the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, the seventh chapter, Luke chapter seven, and what we want to do is look at verses 38 and 44, okay? We're talking about this first feet washing, okay? Here, Luke, in the seventh chapter, and we want to look at verses 38 and 44. Now, in verse 38 of the seventh chapter of Luke, it says, it said in verse 38, and stood at his feet and behind him weeping. This is talking about Mary. It's talking about Mary when she stood behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and then wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So what we see here in the first foot washing is that Yeshua's feet was being washed with the tears of Mary. Now notice what verse 44 says in continuation with the same vein, vein of thought. And he turned to the woman and said, unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. So here he is pointing out, just as the labor foot washing, he has a corresponding antitype of showing how Mary took her tears and washed the feet of Yeshua and dried them with her hair. Now let's look at the second foot washing. Okay, in the second foot washing, we want to go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the 13th chapter, and in the 13th chapter, we want to look at verse number 5. Now here it says, And after he had poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So in the second foot washing, in this second cleansing, it involved Yeshua and his disciples. Here in this foot washing, Yeshua washed his disciples' feet. And in so doing, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Here in this scenario, we see that in order to stand for truth, we have to have clean feet. 
once having the foot washing, we come to the anointing of the feet. The anointing of the feet, in the anointing of the uh, of the feet of Yeshua, the same Mary who washed them also anointed them. So let us turn back to Luke 7, uh, 738. In, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 and 38, we find that here that it, that it says that this same Mary who washed his feet in tears, she also anointed his feet. So here we read, it says, in verse 38, in the latter part, it says, and anointed them with the ornament. So that alabaster box that she had, that she had, uh, used that perfume or that ointment, she anointed his feet as well. So what we are looking at is that his feet were anointed just like the brazing laver's foot was anointed. She took her alabaster box of ornament and anointed his feet. And in this anointing, what we observe is the putting of the sweet anointing oil Mary put upon his feet just prior to his crucifixion. In the anointing of his feet, she was carrying out an act of sanctification. Here in this scenario, we see that in order to stand for truth, we need to have sanctified feet once having the foot washing and the anointing then comes the suffering. Let us now look at his suffering feet, the suffering feet. When the soldiers crucified Yeshua, when he was resurrected, he pointed to his feet as evidence of his pain, suffering, and crucifixion. So let us turn into the 24th chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Here in the 24th chapter of Luke, and we're looking at verse 20. Luke 24, 20 says, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. So here we see he was crucified. And as he was being crucified, one of the things that we discover is that in verse 39 is that it said, when he resurrected, he said, Behold, talking to his disciples, my hands and my feet. So he was pointing to his feet as evidence of the fact that he had been crucified, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So one of the evidences that he was pointing out to his disciples of his resurrection was his feet. And the Bible says here in verse 40 of, the, of Luke chapter 24, in verse 40, it, it further says, And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So what he is dealing with here is he is showing that the, this crucifixion of his feet and his suffering points toward Yeshua being able to in spite of the pain and the excruciating pain that he was having, that he still held up the truth and what 
Yeshua is doing is showing us that as we walk in his footprints, we too may experience suffering and pain. But as we experience that suffering and pain, we want to be able to, by his grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, to be able to still stand with truth. And so here the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it said, I am crucified with the Messiah. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the Messiah liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Elohim, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying here that we now live, when we live, we live in the crucified life of the Messiah. And as we live in that life, then we live in that love that he had given to us and that we no longer live to ourselves, but our life is crucified in him and we walk by the life that he has lived and the life which we now live in the flesh we live by faith in the Son of Elohim, who loved us, and he gave himself for us, and he gave himself on the cross, and when his feet was nailed to the cross, he was upholding the righteous sanctification, that as we enter into that sanctification, we can be sanctified through his death on Calvary. Eternal Father, again, we thank thee that we can share the feet of Yeshua and what those feet meant. And as we walk in his footprints, we too can step and stand as he would have us to. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Amen. Now, uh, you said, okay, the functions of the foot, uh, the first one was the supportive step. The second was the supportive mm -hmm. stance. And what was the third? The third we'll deal with next week. We didn't okay. have time to deal with the uh, third one today. But I'm glad you mentioned that. We'll be dealing with that third one uh, next week. Okay. So we're going to have to deal with that at length as well. Okay. And so, okay, the quadriatical components, you had an ointment, mm -hmm. which represented the anointing. And the mm -hmm. type was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the anti-type is the spirit of L being poured out. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. That's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And then for the brass, we have the suffering and then it's the uh, typist and what, male treatment? Yeah, well, on the brass, what you have is, uh, is you, if, if you follow it all the way to uh, is an, an, an antitypical fulfillment, mm -hmm. you, you have the brass, which is the symbol of brass is suffering. And the uh, type is the male treatment. And the antitype is the crucifixion, which okay. is the crucifixion of Yeshua. Okay. That's what the suffering, that's what brass represents, suffering. Suffering, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm just wondering, um, since brass represents suffering, that Yah's um, color has been described as brass. So does it mean he's suffering? And then mm -hmm. I'm wondering also because his children, he chose when you look at the children of Yasharel, you can kind of say their skin tone is close to brass and the suffering that we have endured. Uh, you know? There might be some similarities in that, but uh, I wouldn't uh, say 
you know, that the color alone, uh -huh. because in Revelation, when it says that his feet are brass, he was comparing it to brass. Uh -huh. So when I look at the brazen labor uh -huh. and it was made out of brass, then there's a correspondence that he had suffering feet. Okay. Okay. So by having those suffering feet, then I can see the correspondence of a dealing more with redemptive suffering rather than a person having a copper tone or a brass color uh, naturally mm -hmm. that it would lead to redemption. I think this is for a sanctification process, not by the identity of the ethnicity of a person. Okay. So there's a difference. Now, the Bible does speak sometimes, I think, in the book of Jeremiah, when it, when it, when it speaks about a person being black with anguish and stuff like that and pain, that it is not only using color to identify how a person looks, mm -hmm. but it's also expressing a temperament or a mood in which one it has, and that mood is suffering and pain. You can deal with it in that way. But in this, we are really talking about a redemptive suffering and not necessarily the color of a person's skin in particularly. Okay. And you were saying how also that Yah is the brine, vine and we are the branches, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And it's something how, you know, that symbolism is seen in the menorah where the branch, like you were mm -hmm. saying, then to center basically uphold the whole thing and from there the branches spread out just like mm -hmm. a tree yeah that's like Yeshua was trying to tell his disciples he says except that you abide in me you cannot bring forth fruit mm -hmm. so so in order for us to bring forth fruit and there's two types of fruit there's a fruit of our character which is righteousness and there's a fruit of gathering in souls to his kingdom and he said, you would not even be able to produce fruit of character in yourself, nor bring souls to him unless you are tied in me. Okay. So it's necessary that the branches, they come to the shaft and the vine branches come to the vine mm -hmm. in order for them to produce fruit because the vine is in the ground and it gets all of the nutrients that it needs in order to give the vine the grapes. So in order for us to produce the life that we want and the souls that we want, mm -hmm. then we have to be tied into him. And he gives us all of the nutrients we need in order to produce the character and also, and also to produce the souls for his kingdom. Up next is let's talk about that. So in continuing with our discussion last week on, uh, Let's talk about sex. Today we want to talk about let's sex talk about sex part two, which we want to talk about homosexuality because we see a lot of homosexuality um, either in the world, out in public, or even now they're really putting it into our television. Even in the children's shows now, we're starting to see a lot of this. And so we want to know, just like we talked about last week, we talked about fornication. How is a sin? We want to know is homosexuality is a sin. So if you have your Bibles with you, we want you to turn to Leviticus 18.22. We're going to look at several verses in the Bible, a couple in the, the Old Testament, and then we're going to read a couple in the New. And we're going to find out is homosexuality a sin. So 
Again, that's Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. And it reads, you shall not lay with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. So here we see that Yah has basically said it is abomination for a mankind to lay with a, a mankind as he does with a woman. Now, you know, some people will say maybe this just laying in bed. No. When you when a man lays with a woman, it's basically sexual intercourse. So now we want to talk, go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Again, that's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. And if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Again, it's basically this verse is almost basically reinforcing what Yah has said in uh, Leviticus 18. Now, if you can turn with me into 1 Corinthians, we kind of touched on this last week when we was dealing with fornication. So if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 9 and 10. Again, that is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And it reads, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Elohim, be not deceived neither by fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sodomim, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Now, I reading from the Sefer Bible and it describes as sodomim. But when I go into the regular King James, it it reads uh, that they are effeminate as opposed to the sodomim. And when you break down into the word of effeminate, if you was to look in the strong concordance, it states that an effeminate refers to the word malakos, malakos, which basically breaks down to infeminate, which breaks it down to uh, some of the definitions of it is a boy kept for homosexual relations with a man, a male who subsit, submits his body to unnatural lewdness or a male prostitute. So we see here that it speaks again against a man sleeping with mankind, with their own kind. Now, if you can turn also with me, we want to go over to Romans because sometimes, you know, some people, okay, that just means mankind. But what does it say about women uh, having homosexual relationships? So let's go over to Romans, the first chapter, and we're going to read verses 26 and 27. And so in Romans 26, first Romans chapter one, verse 26 and 27, it reads, for this cause Elohim gave up until vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with women working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which which was meet 
Now, um, Pastor, I have a question. So, mm-hmm. you know, you always hear homosexual says they would say y'all loves them. Does y'all love the homosexual? I think y'all uh, loves everybody. For the Bible says, for Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But his love for the sinner is not a love for their behavior. He loves mm-hmm. them to save them, but not to continue in the lifestyle. Now, one of the things that we have to take in consideration is that uh, in the text that you read, I believe that was in Corinthians, uh, where it says, let's turn back to Corinthians. What was that? First Corinthians? or First Corinthians uh, chapter six. six. Yeah. Let, let's look at something that I think is significant. Okay. It, it says in verse, and in, in, uh, listen to go to verse nine. It says, not, not nine, but ten. Mm-hmm. It said, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Okay. Now, if you back up to verse nine, where it says, uh, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Mm-hmm. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Okay, now, let, let's, let's just reason. When you look at verse 10, mm-hmm. he said, if you're a thief, you're not going to get in heaven. Yeah. If you're covetous, you're not going to get in there. Mm-hmm. And, and the rest of them. So when you go to verse 9, all of these things apply to what he has enumerated here. Now, let's, 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 let's just stop to think now. Mm-hmm. If Elohim saying the gospel need to be preached in all the world, this means that the gospel is going to clean up our lives from doing those things which are sinful, which homosexuality and a man with man and woman with woman. This this is sinful, okay? Mm-hmm. So if it is sinful, the gospel should clean that up, even though he loves us. All right, now if we continue to practice things that the gospel should clean up, then what we are doing is practicing evil. And if now let us say, even if we were to be saved and we go to heaven and none of these sins are going to be in heaven. Yeah. None of them, not just homosexuality for he's talking about all of these sins won't be in heaven. So if we are practicing that down here, wouldn't it be logical that when we got to heaven, we'd be looking to do the same behavior? True. Okay, exactly. so if if we can't clean up down here these particular actions, then he said, you can't come into my kingdom. But the whole reason why the gospel should be preached in all the world is so that people can make a decision whether they want his way or the other way. Now, if we wanted his way, mm-hmm. we would begin to practice the things that he wants here on earth because those are the same things we're going to be practicing in heaven. So when we get to heaven, it shouldn't be that everything that we do is going to be new. No, he's saying you practice now. This is why the Bible calls it the everlasting gospel because it's everlasting because it was in existence before we came into existence. So when we came into existence, the everlasting gospel had already been here. And Elohim said, if Adam and Eve had lived and didn't do what they did in the garden, we'll be living forever. But mm. this, since they didn't and we sin, mm-hmm. so therefore we have to come back to what 
the everlasting gospel was teaching us before we were made. So if we come back to that, then we can expect when we get into heaven, hey, we'll be doing the same things that we was doing on earth. This is why when Yeshua told his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. He said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no homosexuality. There is no uh, lesbian and gays going to be in heaven. So if we do what he said on earth, that's going to be done in heaven. So we cannot expect that we're going to just slide by on that particular sin when the other sins cannot be slidden by as well. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people in the homosexual community, you know, if they believe so-called in the God or whatever, um, they would take a hard stance on a killer not going into heaven, somebody stealing from not going to heaven. They're not lying, but then they don't think of their own sins of not going to heaven. But everybody else, you know, they can say they're not going into heaven, you know. But he mm-hmm. has just like it states in First Corinthians 6, it states all the things that if you one of those, if you were doing that, you're not going to make it into the kingdom with, mm-hmm. you know. And the thing is, if you were, then he would have to open up the floodgates to everybody. There's no need for salvation. You know. Well, that's true. Yeah. And another thing that I think about is that he's judging this world. Uh-huh. What is he judging? He's judging us by the Torah. What is the Torah? The Torah is his laws and his statutes. And if we're not living to his, according to his laws and his statutes, he is saying, you don't qualify for the kingdom. Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, you're preaching a message of doom. Yes, it's doom for the person that don't want to do right, mm-hmm. but it's salvation and hope to the person who want to do right. Because in the book of Revelation, notice what it says at the end of time. In the book of Revelation 22, 11, it says that when he comes, he said, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, and homosexuality is one of the most filthy sins you can commit. Mm-hmm. He said, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So when he comes... Whatever you're doing, if you're living, whatever you're doing, he's going to look at your life and say, you, if you're doing wrong, I can see that. And if you're doing right, I can see that. So if he's judged at this time, if he's judged most of the people who have already been dead, I would think now he's on the names of the living. This yeah. is why the devil is acting up and doing what he's doing, because he knows once the judgment is over, we're all going to be caught in the condition in which we are. But he has to make sure that he have wars. He have to make sure that this pandemic is is going to take the lives of people so they can go down in Christ's grave. That's why yeah. he's acting up. That's how we have in so many tornadoes and, and windstorms. He want to tear this planet up, and he want to kill as many as he can through the vaccine and other stuff that they have so that he can get as many souls as he, he can get. That's yeah. why he's doing all of this. But those of us who want to live righteous— he may take some of us out, but the Elohim is going to protect some of us. But at the same time, we will wait to eternal life where mm-hmm. those who continue to practice this and justify their action. He said, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. Yeah. And, you know, that that's, I think, what people aren't thinking that. And I, I, and I fought a lot of these religions and I fought a lot of the pastors that's out here because they're not telling people this. Because Satan right now, like you said, I believe like you just said, that Yahuwah is judging the righteous now. He knows time is at hand, and he's doing 
everything in his power now to ramp up to basically, like you said, kill people off that aren't Christ-like as now to build up his numbers and all. And, we, and to be honest, when I look at a lot of people and talk to a lot of people, a lot of people, be honest, are not ready for what's coming and all, you know. You know, and, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's interesting, the whole thing, it seems like he wants to limit how many people come into this world. Because I think if more people still come into this world, that it's still more people he has to deal with in trying to convert to his side. But if mm-hmm. he can start eliminate people like with getting the vaccine and flicking the switch and just really to really have a pandemic and all where people just start falling dead and everything. I think that is something that's possibly on the way and all, because I mean, I've been hearing quite a bit, even though it's a little bit off subject, but it's um, that it, within two to five years that a lot of people who have gotten a vaccine, may, either one will be dead or be seriously ill. And it makes you really wonder. You know, why are they pushing this whole narrative, not only just with the COVID, but they're pushing just as strong with the homosexual, transgender and all of that behavior. Those people cannot um, um, bring forth life. A homos, two homosexuals cannot bring forth another life. They cannot be one as when a male and female get together and then. With the trans, with with people getting the vaccine, I'm hearing that it's basically starting to make a lot of people sterile. You know, so it, it it's affecting uh, life as we know it. And I think you know, if y'all don't cut this thing short pretty soon, you know, I, I can see it's being really rough and tough down here pretty soon. Well, Pastor, can you uh, take us to the throne yes, of prayer? Okay, I love it, Father. We're glad we can speak. Concerning your word, we thank you for your word, and may it steer us in the right direction. For realize these lifestyles uh, uh, that individuals may have, be they gays or lesbians, that is not stopping you from dealing with them. That is not stop stopping them from getting to the kingdom of heaven. None of what we are stops us from getting in, into heaven. But what stops us from getting there is that we do not accept the remedy for our particular condition. Because if we accept the remedy for Yeshua through his blood, and through his power, through his Holy Spirit, as we look to him, and as we pray honestly to him, he enables us to be able to live up to the things that he has caused us to do. So let not our way, O Heavenly Father, stand in your way of blocking us from getting salvation. Let not our lifestyle, O Heavenly Father, stand between us and thee when you have given us the remedy to help us to overcome. Now, Father, as we continue to see the suffering feet of Yeshua that has held up on the cross, in spite of all of the pain and agony, he stood there. He walked in the way, O Heavenly Father, of righteousness that showed us that if we accept him, he can give us strength to do the same. Now, Father, we thank you for this day, the Shabbat. Now, as we move to the Day of Atonement, we ask that you would continue to be with us, that when we come to that day, we can be able to confess all of our sins and to be able to get forgiveness for everything that we have done this year. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. You know, 
the past couple of months have really been challenging with the sickness of a family member, seeing all this hype and deception regarding COVID and how it may affect my employment. The many issues in recording this podcast we've had throughout the past months. You may know it seem you may know it, but it seems like ever since we started this recording on Shabbat, it has been one issue after another in producing this podcast. And to be honest, at times, I thought of throwing in the towel and giving up. I think to myself that I'm doing this for Yah. It's for him, not me. I don't want any glory from this at all. But why does he allow these obstacles and frustrations to happen? But then I think we live in a world of sin. No matter what you do for Yah, you will be a target by Satan who wants to destroy us. Satan would target our health, target our job our families, our income, anything Satan can do to discourage us and to turn us against our creator, he will try and do. But as it states in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahuwah, and the righteousness is of me, says Yahuwah. So we must at all costs stay the course and keep our sights on the eternal kingdom and try not to get distracted with what life obstacles we encounter because of Satan. Because there is little time left, we must keep moving and know in the last days things will get worse until the king comes to redeem his chosen who has stood by him and did all that he asked for of us to do. So we at the Science of the Covenant ask our listeners that you keep us in your daily prayers as we keep you in our daily prayers, that the Most High will continue to lead and show us the way to the eternal kingdom. I am Boyce, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. If you have any questions, feel free to message us through our website at scicove.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com or by emailing us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. And until next week, Shalom.